Hello and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. I'm your host, Emma Thomas, and this time we are delighted to welcome back Dr Katie Barber. Katie is the clinical lead for the NHS Community Gynaecology Service in Oxfordshire, where she works as a women's health GP and menopause specialist. She's also clinical director of Oxford Menopause and part of the British Menopause Society Advisory Council. Her previous episode of Middling Along podcast, looking at menopause myths, is one of our consistently most downloaded. So we thought we'd better get you back in. Welcome back, Katie. Hi, Emma. Thanks for having me. So let's talk testosterone. It's been all over the news lately. I thought it'd be really useful to do a bit of a deep dive on the topic because I think there's a lot of confusion out there. Uh, do you think that's fair to say? Oh, completely. I mean, it, it. we've gone from very few women using testosterone to being quite abundant in, in testosterone prescriptions over the last few years, um, thanks to lots of publicity about it. But it's really important women understand the right reasons for using testosterone, which I'm sure you're going to cover. First of all, if somebody has read or heard that testosterone is prescribed off license, can you explain to us what that actually means? So what this means is that there isn't an NHS license for this particular medication in women. So um, hormone replacement therapy is licensed and regulated. It has evidence to back up its prescribing. um, And that's something that's widely available. Now, unlicensed medications are many and in abundance in the NHS in what we use. Lots of medication that we use doesn't have a formal license. For example, a lot of chemotherapy uh, where we're using drugs that are used in trials might be off license. That doesn't mean it's not safe to use. There's evidence to support its use. It just doesn't doesn't have a specific license in that particular group or a specific indication. And testosterone fits into that group in that it's obviously licensed and approved for use in men Mm -hmm. who have low testosterone levels for specific reasons. And we know there's a reasonable body of evidence to support it being used in women. It just doesn't have a specific license. So it is used off license. And as with all medications that we use in the NHS, And privately, if we can justify a medication is safe and effective and doesn't cause harm, we can use it without that license specifically. So that's a bit of a long winded response, but I hope that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, makes perfect sense to me anyway. I know that there is a product in Australia that is designed for use by women, but we don't have that here in the UK. So um, if somebody is getting testosterone prescribed, what what they're actually getting is, is the sort of the the product that would be given to to men, but they have to use it in a slightly different way. Do you think that that that's likely to change in future, and that we will have specific products that can be then used a bit more easily by by women needing testosterone? We would hope so, wouldn't we? Um, going back to what you just said about the Australian product, it is available in the UK, but it's not available on an NHS prescription. Right. So I routinely prescribe this product, which is called AndroFem, androgen, testosterone, fem for women. Um, it comes in a, a pink tube and it's dosed. Of course, because <laughs> it's for females pink tubing um but it's basically a product that is licensed and regulated in australia so it's delivering testosterone it delivers 10 milligrams in every one milliliter of cream so it comes with a little syringe and the dose for females is five milligrams daily so you use half a milliliter and the syringe allows you to accurately measure up half a mil and apply that as a cream we tend to rub testosterone below the waist so buttocks thighs tummy lower abdomen 
lower back. Um, and that is available privately. So a lot of private clinics across the UK will prescribe Androfem. And it's, it's quite a nice product to use. It doesn't have an odor. It's easily absorbed. It has quite steady absorption into the bloodstream because you're delivering the same dose every day. So that's what we use privately. And on the NHS, we use, like you said, male products designed for, for male use, but we use much, much smaller doses. So we're still aiming to give women a five milligram daily dose, but we use gel products. And there's three particular brands that we use. We use Tostran, which comes in a pump action canister. We use Testim gel that comes in little tubes. And we use Tester gel sachets. So little sachets, a bit like Sandrina sachets for uh, estrogen delivery. They're, they're not dissimilar, slightly larger. And each of those different products has a different concentration, a different strength of testosterone. So, for example, Tostran delivers 10 milligrams in a single pump. So we say to women, either use a whole pump every other day. So you're getting 10 milligrams one day and nothing the next average out at five milligrams daily or try and do half a pump every day. Uh, Testim comes in 50 milligram in five gram tubes. So 50 milligrams is a tube and you want five milligrams daily you use a tenth of a tube, which is like a little pea-sized blob. And Tester Gel now comes in 40.5 milligram sachets. So eight fives of 40, roughly. So eight days use is one sachet. So it's it's not as easy, but mm. it's certainly achievable. And I think there's this view of you must go privately for testosterone therapy to get a specific female product. You don't have to. We can work within our limitations and prescribe these other products. We just have to adjust, adjust the dose accordingly. Hmm. Just a bit more faff. It I is, think yes. I've seen, uh, I think it was Kate Muir who was saying that she sort of squeezes some into a, a pot or something and then kind of sometimes she'll get a bit much. So sometimes it'll be a big testosterone day and sometimes it'll be a little testosterone day. It made me laugh. So are some GPs reluctant to, to prescribe testosterone because of it being off licence? And, and if that's the case for somebody, what's what recourse do they have? What can they do? So I think the, the thing with testosterone, it's not just not being able to prescribe it as a licensed medication because actually a lot of medication we prescribe in the NHS is on the advice of specialists mm. so GPs can prescribe testosterone but a lot of them will want the advice of a specialist who has assessed the patient determined the suitability for treatment dosed monitored and stabilized that patient first and it's difficult because testosterone previously was something that could only be prescribed under specialist indication because there was a concern um, about incorrect dosing, harmful side effects, and the fact that this is unlicensed medication. So traditionally, it's always been initiated, dosed and monitored by a menopause specialist. But we are seeing phenomenally huge numbers of GPs across the UK upskilling in menopause and learning more about safe prescription of testosterone. And so I think it's unreasonable to say it has to always be prescribed by a specialist because you've got some GPs out there who aren't working as menopause specialists, but have a significant expertise or level of knowledge to be able to prescribe it safely. And in the NHS, as long as we work within our, uh, and, and privately, within our scope of expertise, and we're not doing something that's without, uh, outside that expertise, and that's reasonable. So you may just find that your GP doesn't have the um, experience or understanding to be able to safely prescribe it. Now, in those circumstances, you can quite rightly see a menopause specialist who may well start that ball rolling for you, get you stabilized on testosterone, and then potentially hand that responsibility for prescribing back to your GP so that you've got a clear management plan of how testosterone is going to be uh, continued going forward. 
And it's maybe then worth taking uh, a step back because actually somebody wouldn't be prescribed testosterone unless they were already on HRT and that that was all kind of working well for them. And can you explain a bit about why that might be? So current NICE guidance, NG23 guideline, which is in being updated at the moment, this this clearly states that testosterone can be considered where women have ongoing issues with sexual function. And the term we use is hypoactive sexual desire disorder. It sounds quite medicalized, doesn't it? But, Mm. you know, (laughs) impaired arousal, inability or difficulty achieving orgasm and low sexual drive, low libido. And it's really important to say that libido in women is multifactorial. It's it's not just, I fancy my partner, I want to have sex with them. It's all about how everything in our lives fits together. So if we have psychological stressors that can impact sexual function, if we've got really severe vaginal atrophy or estrogen deficiency in the vagina and vulva, which makes intercourse painful, that's going to have a negative impact on sexual function and libido. So it's really important that we correct those other factors first. Nice state that we can consider testosterone if those have been excluded and addressed, if HRT alone does not suitably increase libido and sexual function. And a lot of women will find when HRT is optimized, sexual function is significantly better. Now, the reason that you must be on HRT first before you try testosterone ruling sort of has been um, incorporated is because we've previously seen much higher levels of side effects if women use testosterone on its own without HRT. That doesn't mean it doesn't provide benefit because we've got some small studies that suggest women do notice an improvement if they use testosterone alone, but the side effect incidence is much higher and that's what we're wanting to minimize, those adverse testosterone side effects. And is it true that if so, if somebody is taking testosterone, that that could be converted into estrogen if they're not taking the estrogen component of HRT and they've got low estrogen? I mean, we convert testosterone into estrogen and and through aromatase, which is a, an enzyme that lives in our peripheral tissues quite happily all the time. Um, but that that transfer could be more pronounced potentially if you're not well estrogenized. So yes, there's a rationale and that's why then more of that testosterone potentially is no longer effective and you get a reduced response. But it's the side effect profile really that drives that. So often women who are taking testosterone report that it seems to help with other symptoms besides that very low libido. At the moment, it's not we can't prescribe it for those other symptoms and there potentially isn't the the evidence to support its use for that. Is that right? Spot on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that's really because we don't have much data on testosterone in women. This is a really under-researched area of hormone therapy in women in general. There are studies, there are trials. Uh, The number of women in those trials, if you add them all together, is still relatively small. So that then then inhibits the sort of power of that information and how statistically significant it is. So what we do know from the limited data we have thus far, come on to what's coming up next. We know that the group of women using active testosterone compared with placebo, i.e. pretend cream, no testosterone in it, Uh, the active group showed a statistically significant response in terms of sexual function. So libido, arousal, orgasm, there were sort of different markers of sexual response, sexual satisfaction scores, and those were all very significant. What was evident is that there were similarities in both groups in terms of other symptoms. So mood, cognitive function, energy, sleep, well-being, muscle strength, joint pains, things like that. 
but there wasn't a discernible or statistically significant difference between the pretend testosterone cream, which wasn't active, and the active testosterone cream. So um, that's what's led to us saying, well, actually, we don't have enough evidence to support it being used purely for those reasons, but we do for sexual function. In terms of where we're going, the NIHR are going to launch a trial looking at responses to testosterone for all those reasons. So more women being studied, and the British Menopause Society is um, collaborating on this trial to try and determine the significant outcomes um, in much, much larger cohorts of women using testosterone, specifically looking at those more uh, non-sexual symptoms that could improve like mood, cognition, energy, et cetera, that I've just mentioned. Mm. And, and what's the timing likely to be? Well, I, presumably it's, it's going to be a fairly long time before we know the results of that study was a couple of years or at least because you have to um sort of get ethics approval you have yeah. to ensure that you've got funding for the trial itself it has to all take place it's got to be followed up over a reasonable period of time and you've got to recruit sufficient numbers of women because the trial data we have so far is on limited groups and the idea of this is that we get a large cohort of women because then when we number crunch the data it's more significant because we've got far more positive outcomes potentially to be included. So it's a long-term thing, but it's a step in the right direction for sure. And I think there's a, another scientist, so Dr. Susan Davis, uh, who's based in Australia, is also doing sort of ongoing research in, in this area. I don't. Is there any link between the fact that Androfem is, is available and the fact that there's more potentially they're further ahead with the research in Australia? Do those two things go hand in hand? Absolutely. Yes. I think, you know, when you've got something that's forward thinking and moving in the right direction, and then you've got a product that's licensed and regulated, it's, you know, two and two equals four. But, you know, I think the difficulty is, is that there's this feeling sometimes that you have to have this specific product in the UK and everything else is inferior, but it isn't, you know, it's still testosterone, it's delivering the exact same product in a very similar pre preparation to achieve the same outcome. Um, it would be lovely to have a specific female product. That doesn't necessarily need to mean Androfem. It could be mm. a new product that's marketed specifically for women and regulated and licensed in the UK, like all other drugs that we use. But I think it would be nice for something to be available that gives you that specific dosing that's that's licensed in the UK because it, it does make dosing a little bit tricky with the products we're using and we do see fluctuation in blood levels which is something we monitor on testosterone so unlike HRT that generally we don't do blood tests to tell you how much to take on the on the whole testosterone is something that does need close monitoring and the reason we monitor it is to reduce the risk of side effects we pick up women where their levels are going into slightly higher than normal female ranges and then tend to get them to pull back on their dosing or reduce so that they don't have side effects mm. and and how frequently would they need to have that sort of follow-up so when we initiate testosterone, we uh, tend to check a baseline testosterone level, and that's to pick up women who maybe sit on the higher end of normal anyway. Um, typically, they may include women with polycystic ovaries, for example, because they often have slightly higher circulating testosterone levels. And we don't want to give testosterone to a woman who's already nearly at the upper end of normal because they're more likely to get those testosterone excess symptoms. If it's fine to start testosterone, so we've got scope to improve, we tend to check blood levels. It, the guidance is six to eight weeks, really, or, or even a, a month, ideally. The difficulty is in the NHS is achieving that short time frame review, which can be tricky. So I think there's an understanding that six to eight weeks is a reasonable period of time. That blood test doesn't tell us what to do in terms of, oh, your testosterone should be working, you should feel on cloud nine, because testosterone is a slow burner. It can take three to six months to show significant benefit. 
the blood monitoring is done to ensure safety of, of dose really so pick up women who've then got quite high testosterone levels and we do determine at that point whether women are using the correct amount so if we get a, a high level is it because you put your testosterone gel or cream on just before you went for your blood test is it because actually you thought you'd try and speed the process up and start doubling or trebling your testosterone which <laughs> surely not it does happen <laughs> and then we tend to say if that level is within the normal female range and there's improvement from your baseline pre-testosterone levels we would say six to 12 monthly monitoring and and that depends on the individual patient it depends on dose adjustments it depends on side effects um, we good practice is to review women after two to three months with that early blood test just to see how they're getting on. And certainly at two to three months, I would not be expecting a pronounced improvement in sexual function, but I'm wanting to assess for side effects or, or issues. You know, have they had any new bleeding? Is there any hair growth? Is there any change in well-being that would suggest I should stop their testosterone? And then I tend to review again at six months. And at that point, we would say if you've had a discernible improvement in your blood testosterone levels with the testosterone cream or gel that you're using and you have noticed no benefit whatsoever in sexual function, it's not going to start working beyond that point and it should be discontinued. Yeah. And then generally women can come in every six to 12 months for review depending on their dose and, and other, other issues that they might have. Just to recap on that, it takes a while to kind of build up and notice any difference. So after that sort of giving it six months to see if it's making uh, a sort of a positive impact on somebody if they really haven't noticed any difference you would say just stop taking it it's not mm. yeah if, if their blood levels have improved in other words we know it's being absorbed it's effective mm. in your circulation you're not noticing any impact positively then it, there's no point carrying on a treatment that's not providing any benefit and I think some people who have had this prescribed by a say a private uh, prescription try and then go back to their regular GP and have have it prescribed in one of the formulations that you talked about uh, and then for whatever reason they're, they're not able to to have that happen is there anything that they can do apart from carry on <laughs> trying to get that pres- privately uh, the difficulty is, is is this is a bit of a postcode lottery in terms mm. of things going in on, on in different areas of the country in different ways so Locally, the menopause clinic in Oxfordshire on the NHS will often initiate and dose women. And then most GPs in Oxfordshire are then comfortable to take over prescribing because we've kept women under our care until such point as you're now on a safe dose, you're not going to change that, your blood monitoring is stable. And there's clear guidance given to the GP about what to prescribe and how regular monitoring should be and what that monitoring is. And I think it's really important that if you've got a group of doctors who aren't routinely doing this and are not familiar, that if they get a level that is outside that normal range, they can then communicate with a specialist and get advice promptly to then manage that patient appropriately or have a system of referring that patient back. And I think that system is what is difficult to achieve nationally at the moment. And it would be lovely to see that in the unified approach because that's where you get clear management guidance for patients and you get consistency of access to testosterone and all sorts of other treatments um, as we see. Anything else that we should bear in mind in terms of, you know, if somebody is is thinking about going back to their, their GP or to see a private practitioner to 
to ask for this? Is there anything that they should prepare for that appointment, bring with them? I think the first thing to say from the patient's perspective is do your research. There's some lovely resources out there which will give you lots of information about testosterone. So look at the British Menopause Society website, look at the Women's Health Concern website, and they will provide information for you about the role testosterone plays always follow medical advice. Um, There's some fantastic advocates for HRT on social media, but they often put their personal experience forward, which may not be medically validated or evidenced. So please don't assume you are the same as that person telling their story on social media. The other thing to say is think about why libido may be affected. And I, I speak to a lot of ladies who you know, they've got older children that aren't going to bed at a reasonable hour. They're awake at evening, <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> evenings on their iPhones or whatever in their in their bedrooms and their tablets. And so perhaps the environment for normal sexual function as we age changes. So the woman that comes in and says, I had two weeks on holiday, just my husband and I, and, and we had the most fantastic sex life while we we're away, but my libido's low when I'm at home. Well, why is it? Is it because you've got teenagers in the house? Because that's not really the right reason to use testosterone necessarily. It's got not going to change those environmental or external factors. Likewise, the lady that comes in who's got marked vaginal dryness and sex is very, very painful. My responsibility for her is to optimize her vaginal comfort. So can we put some estrogen back in vaginally? Do we need to use some lubrication here to improve comfort? Because you know, if we have a really negative experience during um, intercourse and it's painful and sore, we're less likely to want to do that again. It will impact mm-hmm. in a negative way. So, you know, making things as comfortable as they can be so that that reinforces um, the libido and, and the improvement in sexual function is key. And then when all of those factors have been addressed, if it's actually, look, this is a real problem for me, um, or everything's fine, you know, great relationship, nothing going on, everything's comfortable. I would just rather watch a box set and have a cup of tea and go to bed, then actually it's really reasonable to trial testosterone. And I think be prepared for those things to be asked of you when you go into a consultation, you know, is there anything else going on? And if you can put yourself in a position where you've optimized all those other factors as much as possible, great. And I think the other thing is to expect a GP or other healthcare professional to want to perhaps optimize your hormone replacement therapy if you're using that first. Because generally we see improvements in libido when estrogen's optimized, when that's all good and you're hormonally replete, libido does tend to improve. And that can often improve to a degree where you don't need to have any additional testosterone. So don't assume it's necessary for everybody. Not everybody needs testosterone. It can sometimes be uh, things improve just with HRT alone. Or for some women, it's just improving vaginal comfort. Just using vaginal estrogen can improve things significantly. Yeah, and I think that's maybe something that um, isn't as well understood is that that can be almost, if you like, decoupled from systemic HRT. So you can have, uh, you know, local estrogen as well as HRT or instead of as a sort of a first. Would you, I mean, do some people come and sort of start on that sort of estrogen, a vaginal estrogen before going on to HRT? Is that quite common? Yeah, I mean, it's often the other way around, actually. So you often find that women will will start on systemic HRT in their late 40s, 50s, but the vaginal dryness and atrophy, thinning and fragility of the vaginal tissues is often something that develops as you transition through the menopause and you become more estrogen deficient from your own underlying estrogen levels. So 
it, it tends to be the other way around. But but actually, I do see a lot of women, particularly women who've had oophorectomy, ovaries removed surgically, vaginal symptoms can be quite pronounced. And actually, likewise, in that cohort, testosterone deficiency sim- symptoms and sexual symptoms can be really, really affected. Your ovaries produce roughly 50% of the body's testosterone. And we see a natural decline. And it's not falling off a cliff at 50, like lots of women think. It starts mm. to decline at 35 Um, But surgical menopause, physically taking those ovaries away, does create a pronounced dip in testosterone. And for those women that have undergone surgical menopause, and a lot of them are having surgical menopause early for various reasons, that really can impact on those sexual symptoms. um, And testosterone deficiency symptoms are something to consider in that group specifically. Mm. And what about somebody that has a premature ovarian insufficiency and, and there's being put on estrogen, progesterone, elements of HRT for, for that, would they normally have testosterone as well? Again, it, it depends on how their symptoms are affecting them. So some of those women often have no symptoms at all. And this is where it's quite difficult when you're a menopause specialist. You often pick up women with premature ovarian insufficiency that have been found incidentally when they've gone through investigations because their periods have stopped or they've mm. got fertility issues. And they may well have no menopausal symptoms whatsoever. And actually, in that group of women, the key priority is returning their estrogen levels to where they should be to protect them against the long term health impacts of an early menopause. And again, testosterone in that age group would or that cohort would not be considered purely because of the diagnosis. It would be based on symptoms. I think that was pretty comprehensive. Anything else that you want to add on the, the great testosterone deep dive? I think the main thing is, is if you feel you need something in uh, along the lines of testosterone and HRT hasn't optimized things, don't feel it's your GP or nowhere. If your GP doesn't have the expertise or confidence to prescribe, they can ask for help. And if needed, that might be referring you through to a specialist menopause service. In Oxfordshire, it might be the community gynecology service. Um, In other areas of the country, it might be a specialist gynecologist with menopause expertise, but there's usually somebody your GP can ask for help and either then get guidance and advice to prescribe it themselves or physically refer you to so that person can make an assessment and determine whether it's a suitable treatment for you. Okay, that's good to know. So hopefully they don't just get a blanket no, um, they can sort of push and say, well, yeah, where can you, (laughs) where can you get a bit more information for me? You know, who else is available to help? Katie, thank you so much for coming back on. I don't doubt that this is going to be another extremely popular uh, episode of the podcast. So very, very grateful because I know how busy you are for, for giving up your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Emma. You've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com to sign up to my newsletter as well. I do hope you enjoyed listening today. If you did, I'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed. Hope you can join us next time. Goodbye for now.